bring us a lot of memories. Um, turn to Hebrews chapter 12, please. We're going to, in order for today's message to make sense, we have to review a little bit from last week, so just be patient with me. Uh, there are some things that we need to uh, continually to lay down and lay out, uh, starting with uh, Hebrews 12, starting at verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which or apart from which no man shall see the Lord. Word of God tells us that the Lord will not draw iniquity to his bosom. So without holiness, we won't see him, and that, uh, that means, to, uh, it means to allow to see. The Greek uh, word means and to uh, or to allow oneself to be seen. Without holiness, his holiness working within us, he won't reveal himself to us. Can you understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? It's the holiness within us that opens our vista to see his holiness within us. Not our self-righteousness, but his holiness that begins to open up our vista so we can actually see him. Blessed be his name. And so... Uh, there's, a, there's a part for us to do and, and he will reciprocate. Blessed be his name. Follow, pursue. That's what it really means, pursue. Verse 15, looking diligently, looking carefully, lest any man fail or fall short. And then... The Greek there is to, to come short. Metaphorically, it means to fail to become a partaker. There's a reference there of, of Mark 10. And it's the rich young ruler. He, he says, one thing thou lackest. It's the same thought, the same word there. He kept all the all the, uh, the commandments and so forth. But the Lord Jesus says, one thing you lack. You love your riches more than you love me. And he went right to the heart of it and says, go and sell all you have. Then come and follow me. And he said it went away sorrowfully because he could not part with that which gave him status, gave him Security gave him position. Well, he could not let go of that which the world had provided. 
Let's continue. Looking carefully, lest any man fall short of the grace of God, lest the root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble, and many be defiled. The Amplified says, see that no one falls back, fall back from and falls to, uh, and fails to secure God's grace. See, because when we get, when God doesn't accept us, he, he, in salvation, he accepts us how we are. Okay? Thank God for that. We never could get good enough to be forgiven. Well, we, have, we can come just as we are. But from then on, God doesn't expect us and will not accept the fact that us, for us to stay as we are. Well, with, this, with the gift of the Holy Spirit, which, you know, The word of God, the Lord Jesus said himself, you know, it's printed in red. He says, no one comes unto the Father but by me. And no one comes unto me except the Spirit draws him. So the Holy Spirit is the initiator of salvation. He convicts and he draws you to the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a deposit of the Holy Spirit that works within your life. Your your uh, natural spirit is dead unto God until the Holy Spirit comes and quickens it and makes it alive. Because then your spirit can relate to the God who is spirit. Until then, there was, that, there was no connection, no ability to connect. Okay? But the Holy Spirit draws you. And that's the beginning of God's work within your life. There's more to be done. Because he goes on and says that in Acts, and Acts is the book that begins the church, the New Testament church. He says, Harry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power by the Holy Spirit. So they waited in the upper room and been praying and so forth. Then the mighty rushing wind came. These were his disciples. There were then 120 that had followed him. And he, they were waiting for what they didn't really know for what. They just were obeying the Lord Jesus says, go and wait. Now, bless our hearts, if somebody told us to go and wait, we say, for what? How long do I have to wait? What, what, what am I supposed to expect? What, what, what's going to go on? I don't like this. I can't stand the excitement. I can't stand the anticipation. I don't like things that are surprises. Well, because a surprise is something you cannot control. And whether we like to believe it or not, most of us are control freaks. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. We got some people being honest and others going, not me. Well, anyway. And they were they tarried there. 
until the day of Pentecost has come, the feast day, and the Holy Spirit came in like a mighty rushing wind and filled all of them with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues, and they began to minister to the people from all nations there in their native tongue, which they didn't know, but the Holy Spirit did. So that's another, another um, portion of the Holy Spirit. There's a convicting spirit. This is a spirit of power, separate operation. And then the, they said, what shall we do to be saved? And Peter said, I was waiting for you to ask. Repent. That's what salvation is. We repent of our sins. We realize we're a sinner and we need a, a Savior and we ask for forgiveness for our sins. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission, for the removal of that which is an alien thing to God, that sin nature, and ye shall re receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Receive the power of the Holy Spirit the working of the Holy Spirit in a greater measure. Unfortunately, because of doctrinal teachings and error, that was many, many don't believe that there is any need for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, ask Paul and Peter about that and everybody in the New Testament. It's part of God's provision for us. But I'm going way off on tangent here, but we need to realize that there is something for us beyond salvation. As great as salvation is, there are other functions, greater steps in God that he desires us to move into. But if we refuse to move into, and God, uh, we get... We expect God to do something, and he doesn't do it the way we think he should. We have to be careful that the second part of that verse doesn't lay hold of us, that a seed of bitterness. God, how come you did this? You did it for so-and-so, and you didn't do it for me. Well, I really don't have a good answer for that, except that God is sovereign. And he's going to do it the way he wants to do it. And he's going to do it for our good always. Well, I trust my heavenly Father to give me and to work in and through me what is in a way that is best for me. Can you understand that? And since I'm not God, and I can't control and don't want to try to control, too many times we want to be God, and that puts us in opposition to him, because you can only have one God. He said, you, have, should have no, you can have no other God before me, and that means you also. Well, let's go on. Blessed be his name. Verse 16 out of the Phillips translation says, Be careful, be careful too, that none of you fails to, uh, falls into 
impurity or loses his reverence for the things of God, like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. We need to be careful that we don't lose the reverence for the things of God. I know what it says there, but I don't believe it. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not true. Over the years, all of us have gone through some revolution within our minds of spiritually that we now lay hold of things because our, the scales, the blinders from our eyes have fallen and we now see things that we never saw before in the Word of God. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, did it mean that we were, blind, we, were, we were bad for not seeing it before? No, we were just ignorant. See, there's a difference between being ignorant and being rebellious. God can work with ignorance, but he despises rebellion. Because what, rebellion started in the Garden of Eden. Rebellion is abject rejection of the divine authority. No, it's saying that you know better than God knows. Well, Adam and Eve didn't sin, they rebelled against God. Satan tricked them, deceived them, knowing full well that if they rebelled like that, God would put them out of the Garden of Eden, thinking that that would stop God's plan. Little did he know. God's always got a plan. Even when we deviate from it, it doesn't matter. He still has a plan. His plan for us doesn't change. We have to be careful not to sacrifice. See, well, let me just read it. That which is eternal on the altar of expedience. Esau, because he didn't value his birthright, his double portion, his being the natural and spiritual leader of the family, squandered it and sold it for a, monet a, monetary, a momentary pleasure, which is exactly what Satan will do to us. He said, and I've got the, the, the reference to it there, but um, what we have to realize is that Esau, because he was hungry, came out of the field being hungry, and Jacob was doing some lentil soup or something like that, and he said, I'm starving. And Jacob being the conniver he was, said, hmm, I see an opportunity. Uh, Esau, sell me your birthright. And Esau said, well, I'm about to die of starvation, which wasn't true. He was just hungry. And what good is his birthright if I die? So he sold it. 
again, just enumerate the birthright, because he was the eldest son, the birthright meant that he got a double portion of his father's inheritance. Two sons, he divides it in three, gives two to Esau, one to Jacob, one portion to Jacob. That's what it meant. So first off, it was a monetary loss to him. Secondly, it was the... Uh, he was the leader, both naturally and spiritually, for the family. That's what the, the oldest son was to be. So he gave all that away. Gave it all away for a mess of pottage. My God. Let's not, so for some momentary thrill, abandon the principles of God. Well, amen, Brother Chuck. Thank you. 2 Timothy 2.19, out of the Amplified. But the firm foundation was had, of, uh, of God or was laid by God, stand sure and unshaken, bearing this seal, this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, that everyone who names himself, which bears the name of the Lord, give up iniquity and stand aloof from it. Everyone that bears the name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is put upon you in the waters of baptism. But abstain from evil and stand aloof from it. See, it's one thing to not do something. It's another thing to walk away from it so you're not tempted by it. You know, you hate the sin. See, when you, when you know you've really been forgiven is when that you hate the sin that you used to enjoy. Well, that's when you know that God has worked true forgiveness in your heart. You no longer desire that which you reveled in before. Simply to say, God's changed your wanter. That's not King James, but you get the point. Blessed be his name. Let's continue. Turn to uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, just quickly. We looked at it last week a little bit, and I'm, I'm just going to pick up the verses I have here. Uh, I'll give you the reference so you can read it later and kind of fill in the blanks, but it starts off with, uh, starting at verse 9 on down, gives a short history or a synopsis of the history of Israel. But in verse, let's pick it up in verse 13 here. Uh, the Amplified, it says, You have not come down also upon Mount Zion and spoken with him from heaven 
and gave them the right ordinances and laws and good statutes and commandments. And that's in Exodus 19, verse 17. So God came down on Mount Sinai, and Moses went up and got the Ten Commandments. All right, that's what it's talking about. So he gave them the good ordinances. He gave them his requirements. They were good and righteous, and they were um, to abide by those things. Drop down to verse 17 on the New Living Translation. It says, they refused to obey and did not remember the miracle, miracles uh, you had done for them. Instead, they were, became stubborn and appointed leaders to take them back into their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and rich in unfailing love. You did not abandon them. Because they couldn't see the vision of God and couldn't, couldn't believe that God was going to take them to a promised land, a land that was described as flowing with milk and honey. And then the people that they were there, they were going to be able to defeat and overcome them. And those people are keeping that land for them. So, because if the people weren't there, the wild animals and so forth would take over the, and that would be harder to work with than routing the people. So he um, says, but they, in their short-sightedness, because of momentary discomfort, said, let's go back to Egypt. At least we knew what was in Egypt. We have the slave masters. We had these tasks that we had to do. But we also had leeks and garlics, people. Now, yum. Put it on my bagel or whatever. But they, they had come out of Egypt, but the, the slavery mindset had not gotten out of them. They were still thinking like slaves. Even though God had miraculously set them free. They were physically free, but mentally still slaves. Well, keep that thought. But they would continually go back on God, and he would, out of his mercy, would forgive them and stay faithful to them. They even made idols and said, uh, up, let's worship this calf. This is what brought us out of Egypt. And God uh, chastened them. He rebuked them, but he did not forsake them. He kept the cloud over them that protected them in the daytime from the desert sun. And at night, it was a pillar of fire to, that warmed them and gave them light. I've never been in the desert, but I understand that once the sun goes down, sand does not hold heat. It, it, the temperature drops dramatically in the desert at night. So God gave them air, uh, heating and air conditioning before we knew anything about it. But they despised him. They, they would not obey him. Even with his bountiful mercies, he time and time again forgave them. They, 
See, not because they were good people, because they were rebellious people, but his mercy. And he had said, this is my people. I have brought them out for myself. Even though they don't recognize me, I'm still merciful. His mercy endures forever. See, let me, let me ask you something. When we get to a, uh, a situation, when we cry out for mercy, why do we cry out for mercy? It's not a trick question. Why would you, have to, why would you cry out for mercy in, when you're in a situation? You need help. You've done something that, could, that in all likelihood would br should bring judgment, but you're crying out for what? Mercy. That's what the children of Israel, all through their uh, trek and in the, in the, all through their history, all reality, because they kept on rebelling. They, they'd serve God for a while, and then they rebel and go back and forth and back and forth. But God continued to give them his mercy because they were sinful or they were not serving him properly or not ser serving him half-heartedly, he still gave them mercy. He really didn't give them what they deserved. That's what mercy is. Not receiving what your actions deserve. That's his mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you for your mercy. Down in verse uh, 30 here it says, In your love you were very patient with them and, uh, for many years, and you sent the Spirit to warn them through prophets, uh, through prophets and, that would, and they wouldn't listen. So once again you allowed the people of the land to conquer them. But in your great mercy... You did not destroy them completely or abandon them forever. What a gracious and merciful God you are. Anybody say amen. amen. Verse 30, 33, however, you are just in all that has, that has come upon us. For you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. Why was he faithful? even though they didn't deserve it, because he said, I have placed my name on this nation. They are mine. They're my people. I will be faithful even though they are not. Blessed be his name. Psalm 18, let's real quickly here. I'll read a little portion here. Psalm 18, starting at um, verse 16. He sent from above and took them and drew them out of many waters and delivered me from the strong enemy and from them that hated me. For they are, were stronger than for me. You prevented or came, uh, came before me in the day of my calamity. The Lord is my stay. Blessed Jesus. Let's drop down 
if you would please, to uh, drop down to verse 21. For I have kept the way of the Lord. I have guarded, observed the way of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God, from Elohim, the creator God. In Genesis 1 it says, in the beginning God, it's the word Elohim. That's all of God together, working in unison for creation. And it also is the God of, of relationship to his creation. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statues from me. And I was also upright before him and kept myself from mine iniquities. Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness. He has rewarded me. That's what the recompense meant. He has returned to me. He has restored to me and refreshed me. Starting at verse 26, uh, 25, excuse me. With the merciful or the gracious or faithful ones, I will show myself merciful or faithful. With the upright, the complete, without blemish. With the upright man, I will show myself, myself upright. With the pure, I will show, uh, thou will show thyself pure. With the forward, with the the wrestler, the, uh, the distorter, the uh, one who tr uh, twists or per uh, perverts things, you will show yourself uh, forward. For uh, that will save the afflicted people and will bring down the high looks. For uh, thou wilt light my candle and the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. The Jerusalem Bible says this, Jehovah, you yourself are my lamp. My God wants, uh, lights up my darkness. He says, you are my lamp. He's a light unto our feet, uh, feet and unto uh, our pathway. He shows us where we're to go if we ask him. He will not force himself on us. But we can ask him and say, Lord, I don't know where to go. Show me. And he said, I will. If you ask, I'll tell. I'll show. If you have a relationship with me, I will guide you. Blessed be his name. Verse... Uh, Psalm 20, verse 6 says, Now I know that the Lord saves the, his anointed, and he, uh, he will answer him from his holy uh, heaven with saving strength and of his right hand. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. We've read a lot of Old Testament. Now I want to go to the New Testament and draw a parallel. In Matthew 6, starting at verse 19. <clears throat> Matthew 6, starting at verse 19. Brother Russ. Lay not up yourselves upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, 
where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust nor doth corrupt or where thieves do break and through and to steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore the eye be single, if the eye be focused or clear or unmixed, the whole body shall be full of light or be composed of light or transparent. But if an eye be evil, full of labors, annoyances, hardship, if everywhere you look, you see hardship, you see things that annoy you, things that are just, oh, I can't stand it, I'm looking at How can they do that? If your eye is single and looking on him, you won't focus on what's going on over here. You'll focus on him. But if you're double-eyed or if you're looking sometimes at him and most of the time at others, you're going to be, your eye will become evil. Let's continue to look at what it says there. If therefore the light that is in is darkness, as the word ignorance, respecting divine things and human duties, it's from the word shadow, which uh, is something that caused the interception of light. Okay, Brother Russ, go ahead. And... No, well, no, go ahead and take it all the way down. Okay. Our light, he says, it becomes dimness. And now it's a whole lot more difficult, even though we have the lights from the, the windows, it's more difficult to see than it was when the lights were on. But what happens in our life is when we start focusing on other things than God, it becomes a, there's a, something that casts a shadow. If I can, well, maybe, all right, I'll use me. There's a slight shadow there. What am I doing? I'm intercepting the light and blocking the light. Understand what I'm saying? We can allow things within our lives. You can go ahead and take them up now. We can allow things within our lives that intercept the light of God that he's trying to show into our lives. When we allow things to come up and block his light within our lives, there becomes dimness and darkness in that portion of our life. Understand what I'm saying? Does it make sense? And if we continue to allow those things to come in our lives, we will develop that which is, it refers to as an evil eye, which all we see is those evil things. And we become hardened and and angry and bitter and resentful. Let's continue here. Because our focus is on the wrong thing. See, if, 
if our focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ, he told himself, says, in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good courage, I've overcome the world. The thrust is that because he's overcome the world, we can also. But we have a choice every day. We can look unto the heavens where cometh our help, or we can look to the earth and all the stuff that's going on and worry about it and fume about it and so forth. Because once we get our eyes off of the source of our love and our light and our strength, we begin to focus on things that are temporal, focus on the eternal or on the temporal. It's our choice. Because one thing I've learned over the last few decades <coughs> is that I can trust God. There are things can come up, have come up in our lives. We had no clue how God was going to help us in there. But what we did know is that God was going to help us because he's always been faithful. Even when we haven't been faithful, he has been faithful. He's promised never to leave us or forsake us. I take him at his word. There are times when we've walked through some pretty dark areas and we could not see, feel, or hear him. But we knew he was there. What time I am afraid, I will trust in him. Bless our hearts. Too many times we have to say, Lord, I, I need to see you answer right now. And being our great heavenly father, he knows you're not done yet. I'm working something out in your life. And you're not, you're only, you're only uh, Ephraim, you're only cake half turned. You're frying on one side and, and raw on the other. And anybody ever had a pancake or a waffle that was not quite done? Doughy in the middle or runny in the middle? That's what we like to do. We like to, God to put us under, okay, I'm ready, flip me. And I'm not cooked all the way through. We like to hurry up and God says, no, I know the timing that you need to go through this because I'm teaching you something in it. One of the things I'm teaching you is that I'm faithful. Now, none of us like to go through stuff unless you're a masochist. We don't like to go through things, but the optimum word is the fact that with God, we are going through it. It's not going to go overcome us. God will bring us through it. Blessed be his name. Let's continue reading here. No man can serve two masters. Same thought of the mixed eye, the evil eye. Looking one place and looking another, having eyes going in both directions. No one can serve two masters, for he either will hate one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve, cannot be a bondservant to God and mammon or riches. 
Proverbs tells us, um, says, don't set your heart upon riches because the riches can melt away moment, any momentarily. Any of us that had back in 2008 when the stock market crashed and so forth. Anybody, anyone that had, you know, things in stocks and so forth, and IRAs and whatever the case may be, saw much of it disappear. I don't trust, I, I have IRAs and stuff like that, but I don't trust them for my source of, I know who's going to take care of me God always, no. <laughs> I know who holds my future, my purpose, my supply, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. I look to him. Let's continue here, please. It says, verse... Uh, 25, therefore I say unto you, take no thought, no anxious thought for your life, for your suke, your soulish life. That which makes up all of our emotions, our mind, our thinking, that's our soulish life. Take no anxious thought for your life. What you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body... What you should put on is it not is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air. And he goes on and says, they don't build barns, they don't plant seed, and so, but I take care of them. How much more are you worth than the fowls of the air? I take care of them. Blessed be his name. Let's continue. Drop down on um, verse 30. Or verse, no, uh, well, verse 28. Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field. They grow and toil not, neither do they spin. I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field which is today and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? There's the crux of it. How much do you believe God? How much faith do you have in God? Do you have enough faith to know that now, hear me, please. People have taken this. I believe God. I'm, I'm going to not, you know. I've seen people take the, and flip this and say, well, that means somebody else is going to take care of me. I'm praying for a, a check to come. I'm serious. I've, we've dealt with people like that. They go from church to church getting handouts. And saying, God's supplying my needs. Do you ever think God will supply your need through a job? A J-O-B? Some people think that it's a four-letter word, but it's not. It's only three. 
but he can put you at the right place at the right time to get a good job that will meet your needs. And you better thank God for it. That is the joint of supply that God has given you to take care of you. But I have to work. Well, yeah. Don't be as a sluggard that is so lazy he won't even pick up his fork and put money, uh, his food in his mouth. We still have to work. God is still supplying. Well, Pastor, I, it's, the supply is not quite as much as I need. Well, there's two things. Either you need to stop spending so much or you need to thank God for what it is and see him increase it. A paid political announcement here is that if you honor him first, he'll take care of the rest. Well, let's continue here quickly down uh, in Proverbs 8.13. The reverential fear and worship, worshipful awe of the Lord includes the hatred of evil, pride, arrogance, and evil ways, and the perverted and twisted speech I hate. It says, all these things are things that I hate. I don't know about you, but if God hates something, I'm going to stay away from it. And I get the clue. Verse 17 says, I love those that love me, and those who seek me early and diligently shall find me. Now this next verse is what I think is one of the one of the saddest verses, at least to me, in, in the Word of God. So in Judges twenty one twenty five says, In those days, it's it's the at the end of the book of Judges, and where they they had uh, men of God that judged his people. But they all died off. And it said, In those days Israel had no king, and all people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. We're living in a generation that is doing exactly that. Doing what they think is right in their own eyes. If the Lord Jesus Christ is not king of your lives, we will become the we will become the king, the authority, and we will do what is right in our own eyes, which has been uh, contaminated by the standards of the world. If you don't have the standard of the word of God in your life, you'll do a substitute standard, which is polluted. Well, a standard of morality says that it's all right and acceptable to abort babies. After all, pregnancy is inconvenient. Don't get me started, but anyhow. But just that's doing right in their own eyes. Can you understand what I'm saying? Oh, I'm not, I hate that. I'm just using that for an example, an extreme example. But we can have things within our lives that are unpleasing to God 
and we abide by them because we don't look to the king instead of us being king. Well, wherever he's not king, somebody else is king. Either they're you or Satan. Well, let's continue quickly here. In Galatians 2.20, it says, I, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. See, God, what too many people have done is that, oh, so, oh, we're under the new covenant, so that takes away everything in the old covenant is, is done away with. No, the, the principles of God, the Ten Commandments are still valid. Thou shalt not lie is still a valid principle. Thou shalt not commit adultery is a valid principle. But because we cannot keep the commandments in our own strength, which we never will be able to, and that was the problem with Israel. So they never could keep the, the principles. But Christ came and said, I died for you. I died for those sins. I died for your weaknesses. And I'll be your enabling power through the Holy Spirit to keep my principles, my ordinances, to be able to obey me. Because you won't do it by the flesh. You'll do it by the Spirit. In Colossians 3, 1, it said, I couldn't speak to you, brethren, as unto spiritual, but under carnal, for you were babes. Verse 3 there says, You're not, Are you not carnal, whereas those things among you are envying, strife, divisions? Are you not carnal and, and walk as men? For while one saith, I am a Paul, I'm a, another say, I am a Paulus, are you not carnal? Are we allowing the envying, the strife, the division within our lives or other things. Is our carnality showing as opposed to our spirituality? Well, you don't know what they did to me. Well, the Lord does. And the Lord is able to, if you will forgive them, God is able to remove the pain from that and deliver you from it. Well, but I'm talking about truly forgive them. That if they walked into the room, you wouldn't go, because oh. if you go, oh, there's still a, strife there. There's still some unforgiveness there. They walk in the room, you can go up and say, hi, brother, sister, or whatever the case may be. doesn't mean that you have to be bosom buddies with them anymore. 
but the fact is that you no longer hold them in contempt because whatever measure you use, God uses for you. The way you forgive others is the way he will forgive us. We don't like that in the word of God because we like conditional forgiveness. I want to forgive the people I want to forgive and the rest of them can go to hell in a handbasket. Well, don't shout me down because I'm true. Righteous people still have anger and hatred in their life and envy and strife. God wants to remove it, but it's our choice. It's your choice whether you keep the anger and the strife and the bitterness or if you allow God to remove it from you. It's up to you. See, because those things, here's the crux of it. When you're walking in those things, you're living under mercy. Can you hear me? When you're in, working in anger and strife and so forth, you're, working under, you're living under the mercy of God. What's the, what's the, the definition of the mercy? It's because you have done something wrong and you're crying out for mercy. You can live in the New Testament and be, love God and so forth and still walk in or live in or under mercy. And I love the fact that the Holy Spirit, with my proverbial bony finger of the Holy Spirit, can take and put his finger right on something right now. Said, so you're living under mercy there. Not grace. Because grace is divine enablement. And divine favor. Let me just put it simply. Do you want to live under mercy or favor? When God gives you favor, he does the promoting. He brings the good things into your life that he couldn't do when you're living under mercy. He still took care of Israel. He took, gave them provision and so forth, but it was less than what they could have had living under favor. It's our choice. We can live under mercy or we can live under favor. What are you going to do? That is up to you. This Romans 12, verse 2, out of the Phillips, says, Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. But let God re remake you so that your whole attitude of mind is changed. That's what he wants to do. Our carnal mindset needs to be changed. We're born with that. That's what the first one says. Like God, through the renewing of your mind, our biggest problem is what's between our ears. We can be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, have the old man dealt with and crucified, but it's still how do we think. Are we allowing the Lord to renew, to remove, if you will, bad mindsets, envying, strifes, whatever? Fear. There's a big one. Fear. David said, I believe he said it, because the Lord is my God, what shall I fear? 
or who should I fear? Fear is an area in your life where God isn't Lord over it. Well, where God is Lord over something, there's no fear in that area of your life. Well, bless you, my Lord. Let us not make the mistake the Lord's, uh, that the Lord's provision as an approval of our lifestyle. Just because the Lord's blessing you doesn't mean he's approving of how you're living. It is easier and more natural for us to stay in our carnality and trust God in his great mercy than to walk in a spiritual obedience and have the Lord's grace, his unmerited favor. It's living far below what God has purpose for us. Like the children of Israel who would have rather gone back to their, uh, the mindset of their slavery in Egypt, there was their normality than to walk in the ways of the Lord. Don't allow the mindset that you had in the world to rule over you in the spiritual world now, in the realm of Christ. Does that make any sense? Does anybody understand what I'm saying? Too often we've allowed that which was in the world, we brought that over with us into the life with Christ. And we're falling short of his glory. I don't want us to settle for his manifold mercies of the wilderness, but his divine direction of the new covenant promised land, which is our inheritance in Christ, his kingdom his overcoming, his divine health, all of these things that he has promised us as, as his word has, has true and, and says it and says, this is your heritage. It's a matter of living under mercy rather than favor. I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I've got to drive this point home. It's our choice. I want you to understand that I'm not saying that we no longer need mercy. For the uh, word tells us that his mercy is new every morning. Great is his faithfulness in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. But we'll always be able to draw from his mercy as needed. All of us need his mercy from time to time. All of us blow it from time to time. You may not want to testify to that, but it happens. And we need his mercy. Blessed Jesus. However, as, we, as the more and more we become conformed to the nature of Jesus Christ, we will less and less have to rely on his mercy, but we'll be able to enjoy a lifestyle that is full of of his grace. It's our choice. Mercy or grace. I want us to lift 
our hearts open to the Lord. I think I can confidently say that all of us have areas, things in our lives that, well, let me say, let me back up and say it this way. With this message, has there been a realization that there are areas in your life where you're living under mercy as opposed to grace? And Lord, being my helper, you may or may not recognize them now. But how many would, uh, with everybody's eyes closed, how many would raise their hand and say, Lord, I want you to show me areas where I'm walking in mercy instead of your grace? Yes, Lord. Lord, you saw the hands. You saw all of our hands, my God. Lord, we know that if we're walking in mercy, we're not walking well-pleasing unto you. And Lord, I know the heart of this people. They want to be well-pleasing to you. They want to be a, um, an asset to the kingdom of God. They want to be part of that overcoming company that rules and reigns with you, my God. We don't want to settle for something less than what you have purpose for us. We don't want to live under that, uh, that covering of mercy where you're covering things over and over and over again. God, we want your, your grace and your favor where we conquer those areas where we need mercy and then let them become an area where it becomes favor and grace. Forgive us, my God, where we allow these these nagging things to come over time and time and time again. Forgive us, my God. Strengthen us by your Holy Spirit to overcome those areas so that mercy becomes grace. And we thank you, my God, for this. We love this precious people. You love this precious people, my God. Set this word deep within our very beings, my God, within our very spirits, and let your name, my God, be glorified. Seal it to our hearts. We ask all these things in the holy and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? amen. Lord bless you. See you Wednesday night. Amen. Romans 4.